Welcome to Pro Corner. I'm your host, Austin Serhoff. This week, we're digging into part two of my conversation with Elizabeth Beisel. Last week, we talked about her extensive and successful swimming career, where she was a three-time Olympian and a silver medalist in the 2012 London Olympics in the 400 IM. This week, we are discussing her post-swimming career, where she is engaged in broadcasting and TV appearances. Um, She's now a successful author to throw that to boot. And what's really cool, just like when I talked to Rowdy Gaines about his own broadcasting or in episode 12 with Laura Sogar about her stand-up comedy career that she's putting together, is Beisel is drawing from the same things that made her great at swimming uh, to progress through this broadcasting career and set herself up for long-term success. So last episode, we talked about how hard she worked when she was a swimmer. She was the hardest working 400 IMer in the world, um, at least in her own mind, whether that's debatable or not, whether someone worked 1% harder or not. Beisel was one of the toughest workers in practice that the sport ever saw in her event. And she carried that mentally into meets with her and that gave her confidence. You're gonna see, or I guess here throughout this episode, that she brings that similar work ethic to broadcasting and journalism. It's a job and she set herself up to have the job. So even though she's a member of the media and people know who she is and she's popular, it's not some you know nebulous thing of why she is who she is and the success that she's attained so far in this second career that she's had. She set herself up for it. She went to the journalism school at the University of Florida. Uh, she talks about how she when she was a pro at Florida, she would ask to do commentating on the college team's dual meets for free just to get reps and reps and reps and reps. That's how she built herself up as she progressed and set herself up for that post-swimming career. So that's the main takeaway for me that I got from this episode. I'm sure you'll find a couple other nuggets of knowledge. Just like last episode, Beisel is extremely thoughtful about how she approaches everything and communicates everything just so clearly. You can see why she's, in my opinion, the sport's greatest star and the future of crossover popularity in our sport. It's because she takes it seriously. She's smart about it. And again, she applies the same work ethic that she did to swimming. So let's get to it. Here's Elizabeth Beisel. All right, the broadcasting, because this is what you are building your career around right now is work on television specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we get into how you bounced into it after Rio, I want to go back to when you first started thinking thinking of that as your career path. So how young were you when you realized that this was something that was available to you? Yeah, so I grew up watching the Today Show every morning with my parents. Like that was like, I just loved it. And I grew up doing theater and playing violin. So I was kind of always on stage. I was comfortable in the spotlight. And I kind of was like, well, swimming's my thing right now, but maybe when swimming's over, I can get into that broadcasting world. And I would Mm -hmm. love that. Um, And obviously like that takes a backseat to swimming for 20 years. And I get to the University of Florida, which has an amazing journalism school. Mm -hmm. And it's it's time to pick a major. And there was no question in my mind. I was like, I'm going to major in journalism. Um, I'm going to major in telecommunications. I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to intern at a TV station for a year, which was part of our 
um, requirements to graduate from the J school. Um, and I'm going to see where this takes me. And so for me, I loved the journalism school at Florida that really gave me an inside look into what it was like to actually be a reporter, a journalist, stuff like that, because it's different being on the other side of the camera when you're being interviewed after a race and you have 20 seconds to like, oh yeah, that was a great swim. Yeah, thanks. Like you don't really know much about the journalism world. You're comfortable on the camera, but that's it. Yeah. Um, so for me to really get an in-depth look into what it was like to be a reporter and working at a news station and what that entailed, um, it kind of made me fall in love with it even more. And then once I was done swimming in 2014 and I was done with that internship at that television station in Gainesville, that's when I started looking to the future and thinking, all right, Elizabeth, you're going to continue to swim pro right now for the next at least two to three years. What can you do? And this was a lot of Coach Troy as well, giving me this advice, like set yourself up for your future, you know, mm -hmm. do something today that your future self will thank you for. And so for me, I was like, okay, my options are limited because my time is limited. My energy is limited. But you know what? How about every single time that there's a dual meet for Florida, I don't care who they're racing. I offer to commentate mm -hmm. for Florida Swim Network or in the O'Connell Center where our pool is, like for free. I don't, I don't need to be paid. I just want the experience. Or if I can host something, I'm going to do it for free. Um, if I can tell a story about somebody on my iPhone, I'm going to do it for free. And so I just started doing these like little things. And sure enough, like that started building my confidence. And I think by the time that I was done swimming, it was pretty well known that I really wanted to get into this. And I came back home. I interned at a TV station here in Rhode Island. Got amazing experience doing that. That was all for free again. So it's honestly saying yes to a lot of free gigs mm -hmm. and putting myself out there as well. You know, if there's a bluefish me and I want to be the on deck commentator, Chuck, can I do this? Yeah, sure, Elizabeth. That would be great. And yeah. it's just like building that repertoire that you have. Um, and so. Once I started doing that, people started noticing my work and being like, oh, Bible does this. Why don't you ask her? And it's all word of mouth. And next thing you know, I'm commentating ACCs or I'm the on-deck reporter at SECs or you know, I'm doing something for NBC at US Open. And so it's something that really snowballed into something. But trust me, it was not like I walked out of my swimming career and was like knocking on NBC's door being like, hey, like, I'm ready to be hired. You know, it doesn't yeah. work like that. It, nothing works like that. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was willing, and maybe this is just like the foreign diameter in me, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to put in the work. I'm going to make sure I earn this and I deserve this. Um, and then I'm going to, you know, hopefully get a job because of this and because of putting myself out there. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really turned into something now with it being 2020 and you know, working for NBC and ESPN and doing all these really cool things, albeit they're small, but hopefully one day they can turn into something more full time. Um, so it, it really is hard to put yourself out there, but it's doing something that I love and I love telling stories. I love connecting with people. And I think that's one thing that the sport of swimming lacks is that, you know, swimming itself is an Olympic sport. So we see it once every four years on TV and we see our favorite swimmers win their medals. They give us a brief 15 second interview post race. And then that's it. That's really all we know about them. And so for mm -hmm. me, I would love a job where I can kind of surf off like you're doing it. Like you're sitting down with these people, you're getting to talk to them more in depth. Oh, 
like less surface level stuff. Like, how was that race? How'd that feel? Like, no, we're talking about real stuff and what makes some of the best athletes tick. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's really what kind of like excites me. Um, so hopefully I could get a role doing that down the line somewhere. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's been a, it's, I mean, it's been a four to five year journey, um, six year journey, like doing stuff for free until it's not free and you are good enough to get paid. So. Well, speaking of free, free, speaking of free gigs, you're also, you're always welcome to intern at a pro here at pro corner podcast. You'd have to work your way up though. No special oh, favors for, uh, for okay. Olympians. Yeah. I'll get my resume <laughs> and cover letter ready. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get a letter of rec too for you. <laughs> I, <laughs> I need at least five recommendations for me to call up. Um, Perfect. Okay. And you said that you love going in depth. Let's go in depth with you because you basically laid out the thesis statement for us. And now let's, let's do the body paragraphs for the essay here. So you're on the deck for your first couple gigs while you're at, while you're a pro at university of Florida. What do you remember about that experience um, that kind of laid the foundation for how you improved yourself the first couple of years? Yeah. It, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, commentating a race or being an on-deck reporter, being in, the journalism world, it, it's harder than it looks. And I mean that in like, you need to do your research. And that was one of the things that I learned over the course of the first couple of gigs that I did where I would know everything about the Florida swimmers because they were my teammates. But then the other team, I would know absolutely nothing. And it was down to the pronunciations, like, cause you need to get those correct too. So it was a lot of, okay, wow. Like I really don't have anything to say about the Auburn team. I need to do some research. I need to really dig in and figure out what these athletes swim. Um, I need to figure out how to pronounce their names, like little stuff like that. But that really makes a difference. And then like fast forward, uh, now that I do stuff like at US Open, for example, the other weekend, I still make the mistake of referring to myself as a swimmer. So I'll refer to like, this is the first meet for us in months. And I am no longer us. Um, that is the athletes. And so I need to work on that. If I refer to the United States, I say us. It is not an us, a we, an I thing anymore. For me, I need to be completely biased, unbiased, I'm sorry, um, and just tell it how it is. And so those little nuances are things that I'm picking up on. Um, On-deck reporting is probably the hardest thing that I've done because I did it at SECs back in February. And it's one of those things where the swimmer finishes I, I'm not familiar with these people. I don't swim anymore. I need to know if they've ever won that event before, how fast they went, if it was a record, I need to talk about their team, like, and get all these questions ready in like 10 seconds. And I was, I was flustered the entire time. I was so nervous. Um, so it's, it's really just like getting more comfortable doing things, but half the time you have somebody talking to you in your ear, you have to say, like, if you're commentating, you have the producer in your ear, you have the person you're sitting next to, the analyst, in this year. Then you have to say something out of your own mouth. So you're like doing three things at once, like trying to stay sane, like trying to make sense. Um, so it is difficult, but I love the thrill of it. Broadcasting is the first time that I've felt the nerves and, you know, th- that just like really amped up feeling that you get before a race since I've been done swimming. Um, the adrenaline's pumping, like I'm ready to go. And so I think that's what keeps me coming back because I love swimming and I love that feeling. Um, so it's been a really awesome journey for me, especially learning experience. I'm learning so much. Yeah. That, uh, those nerves, that those feelings, that's what I also chase as well when I do these podcasts. Um, 
and when I do things like clinics where I'm talking to a bunch of kids, but back to you, were there any mentors or idols that you had and what did you learn from them when you were first getting started and as you've progressed through the industry? Yeah. So Peter Lasser, um, who is the producer for a lot of shows, he does golden goggles. He does all the nationals, U S open Olympics. Like he was somebody that really took me under his wing and was patient with me and gave me a lot of good constructive criticism. And I think the one thing that I hate doing is rewatching something of mine. Um, like listening to myself commentate US Open, watching me host Golden Goggles, you know, watching me do an on-deck report. I hate watching myself, but that's where you learn the most. And so I'll re-watch or re-listen to these segments that I've done with Peter and they'll be like, oh, that was great when you said that. Or, hey, don't do that. Like, that's not right. You're not us anymore. It's the United States. And it's just those little things. And Peter has just been phenomenal to me. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm very thankful for his patience, for his guidance. But this past weekend, I was able to sit next to um, Ted Robinson, who does Wimbledon US Open, just like a broadcasting legend at US Open. And I totally had imposter syndrome because it was my first show for NBC. And here I am, a rookie, sitting next to the ultimate veteran. And I was so nervous. I was so intimidated. Um, but Ted was, again, like Peter, so patient with me, was helping me. It was just amazing. And any opportunity that I get to sit next to somebody that I idolize in the broadcasting world now, I, like, pick their brains as much as I can without, like, annoying them. Um, but really just trying to get better. And you just have to be open to asking those questions and like, Hey, like, how would you word this? Or how did you get so good at this? And just being inquisitive and curious, I think um, really makes that toolbox that you have a lot more broad. Um, and so for me, that's really what I've been working on is just asking more questions. Mm -hmm. um, so you had uh, Peter, your producer, when you were first getting started, what did he point out to you? If you don't mind getting specific, if, if you remember, what were some things that you remember you were good at when you first got started? Cause you're obviously someone who unlike a lot of people in the industry, even though they get into this industry, you get brighter with the lights. You haven't been in a televised situation yet where it was too big for you, but there might've been other stuff that you've need to work on. So what were, what were the things that Peter was breaking down for you that you remember specifically to this day when you guys were watching old footage of yourself and you were trying to get better and trying to improve? Yeah, so one of the things that I'm really good at um, is putting the sport in layman's terms mm -hmm. without dumbing it down too much. Um, and that's been one of the, like, the best feedback that I've gotten from Peter and other people as well. Like, wow, like you really helped me understand that. Um, or like pointing out small things like the lap counters. Like, what are those for? Or, you know, if they show a shot of somebody holding their lactate monitor, like, what does that do? Mm -hmm. You know, talking about like things that, not everybody knows about and saying it in a very like relatable way um some of the things one of the things that i struggle with is still being friends with a lot of these people that i'm talking about while they're racing and i i think maybe like if caleb dressel is racing yes i'm going to talk about him because he's the best but i'm also going to talk about him a lot more than maybe i should because he's a dear friend of mine like he's like a little brother to me and sometimes I'm, I tend to get a little too personal. Mm -hmm. And like, I remember I was doing, I was doing on deck reporting at one meet and I hugged like three people in a row after I interviewed them. And Peter's like, 
might as well, that's great, but you can't do, like, you just can't hug them. Like, like I get that you're friends with them, but that's not, like, in that setting, I am a professional. You know, I, I can't be hugging them. I can't be showing that I have a personal relationship with them. And so that's something that I, I struggle with is maintaining that, like, friendship, but also being like, hey, I'm a professional right now. Like, I, I can't cross that line. Um, so that's something that I'm learning. Um, obviously, like not referring to swimmers as us or the United States as us or we. Um, and then getting better at listening to somebody's answer. This was something that I learned at SECs where I was so frantic about getting the right questions and making the questions better than because we all hate the how did you how did that race feel? It's like, really, like that's the best question you could come up with. And so for me, really having a set list of questions, but being able to kind of shy away from that if I get a really interesting answer. So listen to that answer. And then maybe the follow-up question is about their answer, not the actual question that I was planning on asking. Um, so going off the cuff, feeling okay to do that. But there are, I mean, and that's just like a small list of things that I'm like starting to work on and needing to know about. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that you're never, there's never a perfect show. I've never left a show being like, I wouldn't change a thing ever. And I'm sure like, Sherhoff, you probably feel the same. Like you're, you're the journalist in this position right now. And like, oh man, I wish I word, worded that better. I messed up on that. Like there's so many things that we can always fix. So you're always learning, which is great because you're only ever getting better. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's been like a whole new set of skills that I'm picking up on and it's been a really fun and challenging thing for me which I'm enjoying mm -hmm. the journalism part of it is the one thing that makes your journey uh fascinating to me um because you're also doing the behind the scenes stuff like the stuff that Rowdy does is just so amazing for the sport of swimming but he gets to be Rowdy every time he's on tv right yeah. it seems like part of what was making you nervous when you were first getting started doing the stuff where the other person is the star, whether they're swimming, whether you're talking to them, mm -hmm. is that you kind of had to pull out the character of Elizabeth Beisel and just kind of make yourself almost like a husk of it. Like you kind of had to clear out the Beisel side of it, which must have been tough for you because being plain and I'm the same way, being Beisel is what's gotten you so far in your life, both in swimming, making the friends you've made, being the star that you are. So what was that like kind of replacing the Beisel character and the thing that people enjoy so much when you're yourself on TV and replacing it with uh, your learning in journalism, the, the research for swim meets. What is that process like for you? Yeah, it's like literally reinventing a whole new side of myself, which, which I was so excited for because a part of me was really sad that like Summer Beisel was done and I know that like that personality is gone or any anything but like that identity is gone I'm no longer the athlete and I think the most exciting thing about kind of getting this new side of myself is it's a challenge mm -hmm. and it's something that like excites me you know it's it's not that hard to do because every time I step away from it I'm like oh my gosh that was so fun like I can't wait to get better next time um, but it is hard because like I'm by nature, I'm goofy. I love to laugh. I'm loud, like all of these things. And typically that's not like what you see from a reporter on mm -hmm. um, pool side. And so it's hard for me to really like hone that in and then 
like show a more professional side of myself. Um, but I, you know, I do think I still have a little bit of like my quirky side while I report. And I think that's one thing that I don't ever want to get rid of is that sure. I want somebody to be able to like listen to me commentating or watch an on deck interview and be like, wow, that was super informational. Like I got, I got so much from that, but it was like fun to watch and fun mm -hmm. to listen to. Like, I didn't feel like it was a very serious lecture. It was informative, but also fun. And that's kind of what I want to start working on as well is like, I think Rowdy is just like incredible at what he does. He's mm -hmm. excited. Like he, he gives you goosebumps and that's what you want to feel when you're watching the Olympic games. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even close to that, not even close. And so I would just love to really like get some of those skills that Rowdy has and work on them and, you know, put my own flair to it. Um, but it's, it's, it's something that only comes with experience. And right now with COVID and everything going on, the experience is definitely not there because swim meets aren't really happening. You know, things are canceled. So for me, like practice right now in terms of journalism and broadcasting is me turning on like a swimming race. So I don't even care where it's from and muting it and just like talking over it and pretending that I'm commentating. But that's like what you have to do right now. I love that. That's you're just yeah, getting you're, in reps. You're just, you're just doing the work. Right. And you have to, and it's like swimmers, like not having access to pool, like pools, they're going to go for a run or they're going to find some like really cool thing that they wouldn't have ever found. So mm -hmm. it's just working with what you've got and making it work. Yeah. I mean, maybe you are drawing a little bit of inspiration from the swimmers that are active right now, because based on their times lately, no one's missed a beat. Right. And people are just finding a way to get it done. So if people can find their way to pools, like you said, you can find a way to watch a couple of videos and do a voiceover with it. Yeah, I think we're, we're living in a day and age where the excuses aren't there because so much is available to you at your fingertips, like with mm -hmm. the internet, like, like you either want to do it or you don't. Um, and if you do want to do it, you'll find a way. Mm -hmm. Let's, let's pivot from, and by the way, Husk might've been uncharitable for how you kind of stack up the, the research and oh. the journalism with, with the personality. But I, I think I got to correct myself just so that the viewers get the right sense of it. It's almost like your personality is a cherry on top of the work that you, that you have to do to prepare for right. it. Right. Right. Like sure. that, yeah. that's the, that's the bonus on top that gives you that edge over the other journalists next mm -hmm. to you, but you still have to do the yeah. same work that they do. Okay. Oh yeah, for sure. Be better framed. Uh, let's talk about where you get to be, you know, a star yourself. And again, please don't all shucks this because when, when we watch, when we watch you on stuff, like you are a star and I want to focus specifically on, in my opinion, uh, probably the greatest piece of entertainment, um, that swimmers have ever been a part of, which is your, the family feud episode that you did with, oh my God. uh, Connor Yeager, Allison Schmidt, um, David, Nathan, Plummer, Nathan Adrian and David Plummer, yep. I believe. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. So first of all, it, were you nervous for that one or like, were you nervous in the way that you'd be nervous for journalism stuff? Or is that more like you get to draw from swimmer Beisel and clinic Beisel, except just with a camera in front of you? No, it's like, it's so much easier to be on something like family feud because I'm learning this. It is way easier to be a guest mm -hmm. in my opinion than the host or the person that is like making the show like sir hop right now your job is a lot harder than mine 
I'm talking about everything that I know. I'm talking about myself. And so for me, when I'm doing something like Family Feud, Steve Harvey is the one doing the work. Like he's the one hosting. He's the one making sure it goes seamless. I'm just stoked to be there. I'm like, wow, like you literally thought I was cool enough to go on Family Feud. Yes, I will be like my authentic self. I'm with my best friends here, like Allison Schmidt, like Connor Yeager, David Plummer, Nathan Yeager, like people that I'm comfortable around. And so for me, being on a show like that is a lot easier than me like hosting um, my own show or being the reporter, being the journalist. Um, Cause there's so much more work that goes behind that than just kind of showing up and being a guest. Right. Um, but yeah, it's like being on family feud is like, dude, I met Steve Harvey. Like that is so cool. And he's such a great guy. Like the episode that I was on was, it was all for charity and that money went to the USA swimming foundation, which was just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was USA swimming versus USA gymnastics. And like Steve Harvey was such an Olympic fan was like, fangirling himself over us and we were like really dude are you kidding me like you're steve harvey like why are you pumped to meet me but yeah it was he's awesome wow i i've heard about that that relationship between athletes and entertainers for years that they almost that they always want to be each other and by the way um you're absolutely right that being on this side is harder like every time you say something just because i was swimmer too i want to like inject myself into it so personally, I'm actually learning a lot from what you're telling me right now about how to be better about putting the guests in the spotlight. So how did, what was, can you get us maybe like a little window into the prep for Family Feud? Because I know it's a fun experience and I understand that it's different from prepping for something related to journalism. Um, but what were those conversations like in those meetings, like getting ready for Family Feud and prepping you guys to be on TV like that? Yeah, so the prep honestly wasn't as extensive as I had anticipated it to be. So I remember we got, and we as in the five of us that were on that team, got an email from our kind of like SIL for USA Swimming. Um, And he was like, hey, like Steve Harvey wants to have you five on Family Feud. It's going to be against USA Swimming. Like, do you all accept? And we're like, "Uh, yeah, of course. Um, Signed the contract and they flew us out and pretty much like we were in our dressing room and we were just getting debriefed on like, all right, this is where you're going to sit. Like you do kind of like a run through where they bring you out to the stage. They show you where um, you're going to be standing. Steve Harvey will pre-film a couple openings um, and then they'll like choose which one they like. And then you go back to the dressing room and you basically just wait for everybody to get ready and the lights go down and, they walk you out and there's obviously um, an audience and it's a live audience. And it's, it's funny because I had never been on like a TV show before. And so I never understood, like you watch it and you think, Oh my gosh, like one take, boom, to commercial break, like, boom, we're back. Like, no, like sometimes we go to commercial break like three times because it wasn't smooth or Steve Harvey didn't like, the way that he kind of exited that segment. And so it's, it's when everything is pre-taped, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you good. I'm just messing oh, with Oh, sorry, it. my AirPods keep like telling me that they're dying. So I want to make sure that you can still hear me. But um, it's like, if Steve Harvey doesn't like the way that he did something, the advantage to having something pre-taped and not live is that you can redo it. Um, and so I think that that really 
was eye-opening to me because I kind of just assumed that everything was one take and we're done. Um, so what looks to be a 20-minute episode is actually like an hour and a half of filming, mm-hmm. um, which was very eye-opening to me. I'd never been a part of that. And then, of course, seeing all of the behind the scenes, like the production, everything, like it's just unreal what work goes into a, a simple episode of Family Feud or Golden Goggles whatever it is that you mm-hmm. watch like there's so much behind the scenes that you're not even aware of that that I feel they the production teams aren't often thanked enough um mm-hmm. because they do make it all work you know I'm I'm just the one in front of the camera asking questions and they're actually making everything happen of course um and they are man there is so much work like you said, from people who are not Steve Harvey and are not paid the way that he is, that goes into making those TV shows. But I do want to focus on Steve Harvey because it sounds like it was an impactful experience working with him, um, appearing on that TV show with him. I mean, he's a pro. He carried himself like a pro in that episode and he's doing take after take for this hour and a half, guiding you guys through it. What, What was your big takeaway that you learned from him as a seasoned veteran in in the TV industry that you channel to this day? Don't be afraid to mess up, I think was the biggest thing that I learned because I myself, we're all our own worst critics, right? And so if I messed up on something, I literally will think about it for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And with Steve, if he skips over a word or he like messes something up, it does not even save him. He'd be like, if he were to say like, my name is Steve Harvey. And he said, my name's Steve Harvey. Like he wouldn't miss a beat. He'd be like, my name is Steve Harvey. Like it wasn't even like, oh, let's do that over. I'm so sorry. It's just like, pick up where you left off. Like, let's redo it. It's, it's not a big deal. You're human. And for him, I think that's just like, he's confident and it's okay for him if he makes a mistake because he'll fix it. And for me, like, especially when I'm broadcasting, I'm like, if I mess up on air and it's live, recognize it. Like, you're human. That's okay. Like, if I trip over where I'm like, oh, sorry, like, I meant this. Um, and I think that's been, that was one of the biggest things that, like, shook me was watching him be human. Because I also put people like Steve Harvey on a pedestal. And I'm like, oh, my sure. gosh, he's so great. He never makes mistakes. Like, he certainly never messes up when he's filming. And the true story is all of us mess up all the time um and it's okay and you should own it and you're human and sometimes it does help humanize you and so for me to like see Steve Harvey in his element just being so confident and such a pro um it it was unbelievable and I it was also like wow no wonder he's the best at what he's doing like Mm -hmm. he is just so good and so respectful you know I feel like people in Hollywood certainly have a negative connotation. Just, you know, a lot of people are like, they'll say like, oh, the stuff up Hollywood people. No, mm-hmm. like Steve Harvey is a gem of a human being. Down to earth, like shook all of our hands, looked us in the eyes, asked us what events we did, like told us it was so cool to watch us, like really took his time with each and every one of us. And coming from somebody like Steve Harvey, who I look up to and I see as this just like massive star mm-hmm. to like give me the time of day was amazing. And it, it was like, I will forever be a Steve Harvey fan because of that, because he didn't care that his name was Steve Harvey. Like he, he cared about meeting us 
And that was a really cool thing to experience for sure. And it's, it's reinforcement for you to carry yourself, you know, as Elizabeth Beisel public figure for, for other people um, that if Steve Harvey's doing this at this level in Hollywood, Hollywood. that it's worth it for you to also carry yourself that way. And um, you know, being respectful towards people and being unassuming is really important for when people have interactions with you. Um, Another part of the episode, I think we need to focus on the fun part because um, you and Schmitty's little vaudeville routine was like the funniest thing a swimmer has ever done. Because, you know, you've seen swimmers can be a little wood, not that it's swimmers, but athletes in general can be a little wooden. Like um, in the industry, there's actually a chatter, like there's athlete funny and then there's funny funny because you kind of lower the standards. But you and Schmitty we're freaking stars that day. Yes. <laughs> okay. And I know you've been told that already. I know I'm not the first or the thousandth person to say this. I have to know, were you guys, I'm not going to ask you guys playing it. Cause I can tell that's just how you guys act day to day as people. But when did you guys start getting in the flow with each other? Do you remember a specific moment when you guys were like, Hey, we're really crushing this. Let's keep it rolling. Or was it just unassuming the whole time? And what we saw was just an organic thing. Dude, Schmitty and I planned literally nothing. That is just like Schmitty and I. And I I like need Schmitty to work in the broadcasting world just so I can work with her because she, she is just somebody that makes you feel comfortable just being yourself and being mm-hmm. silly and laughing at yourself. And she is like, you cannot leave time spent with Schmitty and feel worse. Like, like you will literally feel so much better. You're going to have so much fun with her. And whether that's just me and her in our room at the Olympics or me and her on television with Steve Harvey, like we are just going to be ourselves. And I think that's the best thing about Schmitty is what you see is what you get. And she's so genuine. She's open. She's honest. And yeah, that entire episode, none of us planned a thing. We knew that Schmitty was going to go, um, she wanted to do the fast round. What is that called? Okay, I, fast. I don't remember either. Yeah, I, I don't remember. <laughs> but she, the, like, Family Feud was like her favorite show growing up. Okay. So we knew that if it were, it came down to it, Schmitty was gonna go to the fast round, and that was right. that was like the only thing that we planned for. Um, but everything else, every interaction that we had was genuine, unscripted. That's just like literally how we are. quick break from the episode to do my first ever ad read and it's not because i'm sponsored and that's not a matter of principle i'd happy to be a sellout anytime someone wants to give me the opportunity to i'm actually promoting something of my own so if you have a few seconds uh i have designed my own line of suits with bike swim they are my it's my signature suit um it's in the design of a blue bandana And it's a representative of something that's really important to me about swimming, which is striking out on my own and following the path of the rogue. To me, uh, the bandana is a symbol of that in American culture. So if you like the design and you like listening to this podcast and want to find a way to, you know, engage with me more, support what I'm doing, you know, as a pro athlete and as a podcast host, go to fightswim.com. And go to my ambassador page and you'll find links to uh, my suit design. I've designed a brief, a jammer for men. And I've also designed a bikini and a one piece for women. Uh, if you don't like my design, we have a 
handful of other ambassadors, amazing swimmers, world record holders, American record holders, NCAA champions who designed their own signature suits. So I guess the big picture that ask for you guys is go to fikeswim.com, check out all the products. I'm one of the ambassadors and I have my own signature suit. Back to the episode. Yeah, you two, it seems like you two made each other more comfortable and the ways that you two are complementary to each other and your personalities drew out, drew out the best in you guys. And um, I imagine that's something that you draw from now when you're working with people in the broadcasting industry, when you have a back and forth rapport. So what have you learned about that relationship when you're in the booth or somewhere else where you have a, a partner with you on the broadcast? And you have to work with them and feed off of their dynamic. The chemistry between the two people that are in the booth is probably the most important part of the broadcast. And mm. that's why you see Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir crush it. They have that chemistry. They have that connection. That's why Dan Hicks and Rowdy Gaines are so good together. They have that connection. And it's not something that, like, it's something that you need to, one, work on because you're not getting to choose who you're sitting next to in the booth. Um, but it's just like, if it's genuine and organic, that will come through the screen. It will come through your voice. And like, just having that kind of like sixth sense as to when, ooh, like Austin's gonna say something. Like I can just like feel it. Like, or Elizabeth's gonna say something. Like I'm not gonna interrupt. Like it's that type of dynamic that you have in the booth that makes your broadcast that much better. And I think, you know, for me, I'm so lucky. I have never left a broadcast being like, oh, we were not working well together. Like that was not good. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, you obviously meet with the person that you're going to sit with in the booth before broadcast, before you're on air. Um, and you kind of get like the feel of their personality. And, you know, for me, it's, I am at the point in my career where I'm kind of going to always follow their lead because mm -hmm. I'm the rookie like right when I'm sitting next to Ted Robinson yeah I'm gonna follow Ted's lead I'm gonna listen to what he has to say I'm never gonna talk over him um I'm gonna kind of let him lead the conversation but I think with more experience I'll get more confident and start kind of leading my own conversations and popping in when I feel like I can um but that chemistry between the two people is so important because it, it does come through on the screen and if it's great it's amazing if it's bad it'll hurt the entire broadcast and the network that it's on mm -hmm. um let's move to your book uh silver lining because this is you know you have all you are someone who has set themselves up for all these creative outlets and then you decided to pivot into the written word as a creative outlet as well um I want to I want to touch briefly on the inspiration before we talk about the process of writing the book and the aftermath of it. So, what made you want to write the book? And or let's even pull back further. What made you want to write a book? Had you always wanted to do that, or was it an opportunity that came to you? No, I never wanted to write a book. Like that was totally never on my radar. And you know what happened was I started going to a lot of clinics and a lot of public speaking gigs. And I'm a very excitable storyteller. Like I have fun stories and it started like getting crazy. Like after every clinic, every speech I would give, people would come up and they would be like, Elizabeth, do you have a book? And I'd be like, no, I don't. And they'd be like, you should write a book. Um, and I heard it enough over the course of like a year or two that I finally got to the point where I wasn't swimming anymore. 
um, I was kind of only doing clinics and broadcasting stuff on the side. And I was like, you know what? Now or never, like, why don't we just try to do this? Um, And that's kind of the reason why I wrote a book. It wasn't ever a goal of mine, um, but it became a really, really cool and fun project that I worked on. Now the process of it. Um, Did you have people that you leaned on to help you develop yourself as a writer? And if so, what were the things that they taught you that you may not have expected when you went into the process at the beginning? Yeah. So basically how I started writing this book was like, I opened my computer and I opened a Word document and I was like, okay, like I have no idea what I'm doing. The classic Um, way, the great American novel. Right. Literally. It was one rainy day in Rhode Island. Yes, I know. (laughs) I should have been in a cute cabin in Vermont, but that's okay. Um, But so like, like I have no idea how to write a book. Like the biggest thing I've ever written was like a 20 page paper at Florida about like bridges and architecture. That even sounds like a lot, honestly. (laughs) But I'm like totally out of my comfort zone. Um, And so I'm like making an outline. I'm kind of honing in on the stories that I want to tell, maybe ones that I'm on the fence about. Um, And I was working on this for probably a year. Mm -hmm. And I started to go to an open water swimming group in Rhode Island during the summer of this woman named Beth and she was a writer. She wasn't a published author or anything. She was just a writer and loved to do it. And I was like, would you want to like help me do this? I know it sounds crazy. And she was like, yes. Oh my gosh, that'll be amazing. And so Beth, who has like all of the experience writing, being a writer, um, was able to, she helped me more than I could ever put into words. Like mm-hmm. it was unbelievable what she did. And a, a lot of the times, like the process was, we would meet up and I would have a story written down um, in my own words. She would read it and then she'd be like, okay, tell me this verbally. And I'm going to record you telling me the story. And then I'm going to pretty much edit and butcher everything that you wrote and rewrite it. <laughs> and and it, it was the most incredible, seamless, you know, way to do it because what I learned from her is that my intonation is different than yours. I use different words than you do. And at the end of the day, we wanted it to sound like my voice yes, and not like somebody else wrote this book that had no idea who I was, like a random ghostwriter that I called and sent a couple stories to. Right. And so it was amazing because I was involved every step of the way. My writing is in it. Beth's writing is in it. And it was this beautiful merge of teamwork. And it took about probably two years to write. Um, and then a a ton of editing and finding a publisher was hard and it's, it's a lot of behind the scenes work and it was so rewarding to finally see it come to like light and actually have a book in my hands. Like it it just like, it went by so slow, but also so fast at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, one specific part of the process I want to hone in on before we talk about the after of, of releasing the book. Did you ever tap into your skill with speaking when you were part of the creative process with the book? Like, were you guys ever using like audio recordings of your own voice? I know there was a lot of meetings, but I wanna know how you use the spoken word to translate into your writing. We recorded every conversation we had, Um, especially the ones of me retelling the stories um, because that's when you really get my voice and the words that I like to use and, and you know, the cadences of my sentences, stuff like that. Um, it was so intricate and that was something that I never knew about when it came to writing a book. Um, but yeah, we were using voice memos on our, just on our phone. Like she would bring her iPhone and voice memo me, 
Um, and the greatest thing about Beth was that she was familiar with the sport of swimming, but, but not, not in the sense of like you and I are right. Like she wasn't, right. she wasn't born and raised a swimmer. Right. Um, she did master swimming, open water swimming. So when I was talking too technical, she'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. what does that mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. We need to like, kind of like say this in layman's terms. Right. So I think that's, she was a huge part in my book being, yes, a swimming book. It's a story about me as a swimmer, but anybody could pick that book up right. and hold their own. You right. know, it's not dripping with swimming terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's more about the story and the ups and downs. And so I think that was the best thing that we could have done for my book is make it more versatile um, towards the audience. And make it more like parables that people can learn from, from their own lives. Exactly. And, that, and yeah. that's like, honestly, the end goal, like, yeah, tell my story, but also let people know that, Hey, being an Olympic swimmer doesn't mean that your life is perfect. You know, like there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that you'll never see. Let's dive into that and let me help you in case you come across this at some point in your life. Mm-hmm. What's the work that goes into the release of the book? Because it's not like it's done once it hits the shelves. You were almost probably more busy. Oh my gosh, more busy than I was when writing it. Because once you find your publisher, you edit it. Like I literally cannot tell you how many nights I would read through the entire book and like find errors, like little, little bit. And you don't want to release a book. Once it's published, it's published. Like there's mm-hmm. no recall. Um, and so just making sure every word is right. And then picking the font, picking like the dedications, picking uh, like the cover, the backstory, like it's insane. And it's all on like my, my decision. And so it was like, when you pick a cover for your book, like it's kind of a big deal. Like, you know, like you want to make it right. Um, mm-hmm. So it was just so much work, um, but fun. I think that was because the book was written. That was like what I wanted to do. And then the rest of it was like kind of fun, but busy. Okay but fun. Okay. Sure. That's good that it was that. Cause I, I was going to ask if like, you know, if there was like a, a tough part of the aftermath that you didn't realize, but it sound, but I'm glad that it was all fun. Once you got the work of the book done. Yeah. Um, was there any, was there any pleasant surprises you got when the book was released and you started getting feedback from it? Were there, or do you have any stories of uh, nice things that happened to you after it was released? Yeah, I think, you know, the one thing that I felt so much support, like I, I was blown away by the amount of people that actually just wanted to read it. Um, but my favorite things that I ever received after I put my book out was videos of little kids getting my book as a present. And there were a few videos like this and they would like unwrap it and open it. And I'd sign like on my website, you can request for me to like sign it and dedicate it to you or write whatever you want. And these kids would open it and see that I signed it and wrote them a little note and they would like start crying because they were so happy. And like, I'm like, what? You're like that happy to have my book. And that's just like, that's why I did it. Like to, to give a kid that happiness and that thrill is just like, oh my gosh, it makes you feel so good. And I think making a difference in a kid's life or giving them something to get excited about back to the clinics aspect of things is like, what makes what that like really touches my heart in a different way. And so I think that was the most rewarding thing that I kind of got out of the book was just seeing little kids reactions, receiving it. Elizabeth, you've put yourself in 
dozens of different outlets for you to both express yourself creatively, do the things you love in broadcasting and writing. But also, like you said, whether it's at a swim clinic, whether it's on TV, breaking down the sport so people understand it better and feel your enthusiasm or writing a book, you are also actively contributing to the next generation the way that Natalie Coughlin and Amanda Beard did for you. And on and on we go and the tradition is unbroken. It's a beautiful thing. Um, I wanna thank you so much for coming on today. This has been a lot of fun for me. Uh, you're, I know you're always having fun, so I'm sure it was a, a barrel of laughs for you. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, you're the best. Thank you for having me. I'm like so stoked for you. This is really We'll circle back about you faxing me over your resume for that intern position, all right? Yeah, perfect. And how, wait, how many uh, letters of rec did you need? I need minimum of five, and I'd like for them to not just be your swim coaches, because I know that they'll be glowing. <laughs> I need to do some work then. I need to reach out to my professors. <laughs> perfect. All right, Elizabeth, thanks so much. Uh, good luck with everything. All right, that's the show. Thanks for stopping by Pro Corner. Uh, if you enjoyed everything that you heard today, go to at Pro Corner on Instagram. That's where I post all updates related to the show. I also post uh, smaller clips harvested from the episode and exclusive behind the scenes little deep dives that I do with the guests every once in a while. I'll also post uh, that's footage that you can't find on the podcast. So if you want updates about what we're doing or if you don't have time for an hour long podcast and just want to find a couple two to 10 minute nuggets, head over to at Pro Corner Podcast on Instagram, hit the follow button. Also, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you're listening to your podcast right now. Thanks for stopping by and have a great day.